Father, we thank you for your graciousness toward us. We thank you, God, that we can come together. That we can be encouraged by one another. I thank you, Father, for even the times in which we live, they are difficult times and will become more difficult. But I thank you that you have chosen us to live in these times. With this special time in which we are in, there also comes great responsibility on your bride. Father, give us clarity in our relationship with you to know the paths that you want us to take. To know what paths take us to you, draws closer to you versus those that would lead us to our own control. Father, this morning, as every morning, as every time, I give you my mouth. I give you my tongue, the words that would come out. I express that I, I have no desire that any are of my own but they are only of you and what you have for your bride, what you have for this world. Lord, I trust you and I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brooke prayed, Lord has given me a word this morning. And it is a word to his children, but it is a word to the world. It is simply a declaration of what is to come and what is upon us even now. As I was before him this morning, asking him and declaring that it is my desire, as I just prayed, that none of this be me that it only be him. I laid that before him this morning. And he said, consecrate yourself. I didn't ask him, but I believe he gave me a choice of doing that on my own or doing that with you here at Ignition. The one I have chosen was the second. So we're going to do something a little different this morning that isn't normally done during this message time, and that is we're going to take communion. So if you could pass out all the communion cups, and I already have mine. Before the children of Israel and Joshua were to go into the land promised to them, after the 40 years of junk... (laughs) that they had to go through, their payment for disbelief. God said, consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? When we take communion, what does it mean? Does it mean just to remember what he did? Is it to simply to remember Jesus died on the cross and what he paid for you and for me? Yes, it is that. We certainly do it in remembrance of him. But it is a time of self-reflection between you and the Lord. It is a time when you come before the Lord and you are seeking purity in your relationship with him. This is not a light thing. In fact, it is a heavy thing. The world has cheapened it. The bride has cheapened it in so many ways and made it a simple ceremony. But the truth of it is it is you are making a pledge when you do this. You're making a pledge in remembrance of him who gave his life for you. You're making a pledge 
of a consecrated life. Of a life sold out for Him. Of a life seeking only Him. So I encourage you as we do this, or you as you watch at home, if you are doing this, don't take it lightly. Take it for what it means in the seriousness of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, it also doesn't mean that you, you have to have been a, a, a Christian for so many years and know so much of the Word of God and, and you have to have these benchmarks set before you can do it. It has nothing to do with that either. Because, see, God said, and I thank Him that He did, He said, I look at the heart. He knows your heart. He knows where your heart pursues Him. He knows the difference between wheat and chaff. So in pursuing Him, remember what He did. So take out the wafer. Can, can you take that out for me? Shake too bad. Thank you. I can get the other three. Jesus. This wafer represents your body. Your physical body being the Son of God. You chose to insert yourself into creation, your own creation. By doing that, you humbled yourself. Your word said you brought yourself a little lower than the angels. I cannot imagine the difficulty of that choice. Taking on the burden of not only this body, but taking on the burden of plowing new ground to show us relationship with you. Because as you built earthly relationship with your Father, you showed us the way. You showed us how to have faith, and you said that we could do all that you do. Because you were showing us the very relationship that was intended from the very beginning. So God, we remember, we remember Jesus. What you sacrificed with your body. The beatings that you took. But so much more than that. Every moment that you spent on this earth in preparation for Father's will to be done. So many moments of agony. So many moments of sorrow seeing the choices of man. Because your choices or your seeing is not limited to what was in front of you. For even then you saw what was coming now. You saw the choices that people will make in their hearts even now. So we remember. We remember this sacrifice. We remember that you gave everything. Take of his body. And then the cup. Jesus, your blood that was shed. Your blood that was shed for the remission of sin. The very life that flowed through your veins that was given not only for life up to that 
point, but life ever after. That blood that was given for me and for each one here and each one watching. You said in your word that forgiveness comes just from asking. Father, I ask that you cleanse my heart. That you cleanse the heart of those here. That you forgive us where we have taken our eyes off you. Forgive your bride for where she has become complacent. Forgive your bride where she has become controlling. I thank you for your son's blood that covers all our sin. And all we have to do is come before you and ask. You said, have a contrite heart. A heart that seeks you. So we remember what he did on the cross. We remember his blood that was shed and we claim it in Jesus' name. I thank you that it has been poured over our lives. So that, Father, when you see us, when you see me, You see me through the veil of Jesus. I thank you. I am humbled by it. We are grateful for it. And we will remember that you made that choice from the beginning of time before the beginning of time. That your only son would be sacrificed for our redemption. So we remember. Take of the cup. Father, your will be done. Your will be done through me this morning. All I ask is that I add none of myself and I leave nothing out that is you. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In that communion, the Lord has told me to read a passage from Micah chapter 6. You don't need to turn there, but listen. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. As I pause here, understand what he is speaking now is a foreshadowing of what will happen to Israel. This is for his bride. What I am speaking now is for you and for me. It is for his bride today. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. That you may know 
the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I declare this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. As I said, he has given me a word today for the bride. It is specific to the bride, but affects the entire earth. I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 5. And I'm not going to get into this again. But be careful. I'm speaking to those online. Be careful those who would separate Israel from the bride in Scripture and say that Whatever he dealt with Israel on is not for us. I declare to you it is. It is for us even now. Chapter 5 in Zechariah talks of a scroll, a flying scroll. Let's just start in verse 1. Again, I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see a flying scroll. Now, by, by the way, this, this word flying here, don't, don't be confused. It is a symbolism of activity, of being active. Hebrews tells us that, that the word of God is alive, right? It's active, it's, it's breathing, it's moving, Right? That's what it's referring to here. It is declaring this is the word of the Lord that he is about to see and about to read. He said its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Let me just, before I get into the rest of it, let me just explain that a moment. First of all, anything you find in the word of God has meaning. Has meaning. If you dig deep enough, if you don't understand the meaning, you dig deep enough, you will find gems in there that you never realized were there. See, there's a reason he gave this specific size. Uh, Can you imagine a scroll that big? I mean, 10 cubits by 20 cubits, basically 30 feet by 15 feet. I mean, that's a big scroll. You can't put that in your pocket, right? But that's what he saw. Those are the exact dimensions of the holy place in the original tabernacle. It was changed when it became the temple. It actually doubled in size for the temple. But in the original tabernacle that was given to Moses to build, it is the holy place. Now, the holy place is different than the holy of holies. If you look at a layout of the temple or the tabernacle, for that matter, both have the same layout. Just the size is different. But if you look at that layout, you have in the temple portion of it, you have the holy place and the holy of holies. It's all one big room. Okay? The only separation between the holy of holies and the holy place was the curtain. Right? That curtain that was torn when Jesus died. Now understand from a rabbinical mind what this means. The holy place was only for the priests. They were the only ones allowed there. There were three things in the holy place. There was the table of showbread. There was the lampstand. And then there was an altar of incense where they would go in in the morning and in the evening and they would burn incense that would represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when he came, he said, I am the bread of life. 
said, I am the light of the world. He came and declared himself to be the fulfillment of what was in the holy place. And then in the Holy of Holies, that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, right? And they could only go in there, the high priest could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for Israel's sin. Other than that, nobody else could go in there, and he could only go in there once a year. And even with that, they kept a rope tied to his leg just in case he was not purified. Because when he would go in there, he would die if he was not. The Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies represented the Father coming to earth. Okay, it represented the kingdom of God with men. That's why men could not go in there. They could only go in there, like I said, the once a year. Then the Holy of Holies was where the priests would come to offer things, but it was only the priests. I find it interesting that when Jesus died, the veil was torn. Literally opening the door for God's kingdom, represented by the Holy of Holies, to come to earth. To be in relationship with man. You with me on this? Because it's important to have this picture before we go into what's going on. Because what Zechariah saw here was a scroll that was also written on the front and on the back. Now to have a rabbinical mind, it gives you a little bit of insight into that. Because scrolls were not written on the front and on the back, typically. There were only a few occasions where it was. But the biggest occasion was for a title deed. If you had a title deed, you owned a piece of property back then in in Israel. You had a title deed written on the inside and written on the outside. This is one of the occasions where a scroll is written on both sides. Because typically a, 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 a scroll made of this papyra, it's... Flat on one side, easier to write, but it's a little rough on the other side. So typically they didn't write on that, except for certain occasions, like I said. In this case, it was on both. Giving an insight to the fact that this was about the title deed of this earth. If you go to Revelation, and we're not going to go down these rabbit holes right now, but I I encourage you to. The seven-sealed book, you remember in chapter 4 where, where uh, John is there and he's weeping because there's this, this scroll with seven seals. Nobody can open it because he recognized it had to be a kinsman redeemer. It had to be a man that opened it and he said, none are worthy. And the elder came up to him and said, no, there is one. There's one who's worthy, the lamb. That's Jesus. Jesus is worthy to open it. Why? Because he was sinless as God. But he came and inserted himself as man. That was written on both sides, the seven-sealed book. It's a title deed to the earth. Jesus will come one day, and he will take that title deed, and he will take back the earth. That's what we read of in the thousand-year reign and everything else. But the greatest mystery that Paul began to reveal and and really in so many ways has not been revealed until the, the time in which we live right now. It's not been understood until this time is the mystery of the bride. It's written all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. But without understanding that The bride does not replace Israel, but literally becomes a foreshadowing of what he will do with Israel. You begin to understand the mystery. That brings us to where we are right now. So he sees this flying scroll, this active scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. In a rabbinical mind, he knew immediately this had to do with relationship with God. 
because that's what the holy that was what the holy place resembled or or signified was relationship with God. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. Let me just finish down through verse 4. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timbers and stones. First of all, understand in, in verse 3 it says, Then he said to me, this is a curse that goes out. I want to go to, if I could get my hands to work here. I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read it verse 17 through 19. Thinking about this idea of a curse and and how people will immediately say that, well, God doesn't curse. God does not bring destruction. You, You have to pretty much discount the entire Old Testament if you want to believe that way. But let me read out of Jeremiah Chapter 29, beginning at verse 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will, I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. So understand, going back to Zechariah chapter 5, understand that what he is saying in verse 3 when he says, Then he said to me, this is a curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. That word there, curse, is the same as judgment, is the same as his justice. That his justice goes out over the whole land. That his judgment against those who would be false against him, against God Father, would go out to the entire earth. And what he said to me that applies in this today are these two curses, these two judgments. I declare the word of the Lord in Jesus' name. Everyone who steals shall be banished according to what is on one side. Everyone who swears falsely shall be banished out according to what is on the other side. Lord deals with individuals. That's why you can't just go to church, become part of some group, and then get everything that the Lord has for you. It was never intended to be a group act. It was always intimate relationship between you and Him. Then from there, that filters out into the group. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and all your strength, he was talking about that intimacy between us and him. But then he went horizontally and he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do the very same thing in that love, the fervor of love that you have for the Father, have for each other. So see, we're not responsible, or we cannot get to God just as being part of a group. It has to be individual. And and we know this. 
But this is what God is speaking of as he is laying these judgments down. Those who steal. And I'm not going to pour interpretation into this. But those who steal. Those who would take what is not theirs, specifically the bride. They will be cleaned out. That word there is banished in the Hebrew. It's to be set aside. And again, I won't give interpretation to that either. But they will be separated out. That is the first judgment. The second judgment is to everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out or banished according to what is on the other side of the scroll. This is focused on the bride. And within the bride, there are those that say, I am the Lord's and he is mine. But their life walks a very different path. They use it for their own gain. They use it in a program method because it works. Playing on the emotions of others. This will no longer be tolerated by the Lord. I declare it in Jesus' name. Their lives will be required of them. And they will be held to account. And this isn't just ministry leaders. These are any who take for granted the relationship between them and the Lord and use it for their own gain. See, that intimacy has to be pure. Otherwise, it's no different than controlling anything else. God never wanted us to control. He never wanted us to grab for ourselves what we could. That was never his intention. He said, seek him. Seek him first. Seek him only. He'll do the rest. Right? When we seek him, he takes care of the very things that we control to hold on to. And that is going to stop. Because what he is declaring here is those people use his name to control. I won't read into this any further with you, except I will say that it is used all the time in positions of control. You see it in politicians. When they get up and they'll read something from the Word of God, and you know there is no other instance in their life that shows that they even know Him. So understand that this is focused on the bride, just like it says in First. 1 Peter chapter 4, that when judgment comes, judgment comes on the house of God first. But it is not limited to the house of God. These curses, these judgments are not limited to the house of God. But it will come focused on the house of God first. Because they're the ones that should be responsible. We're the ones that should know different. We're the ones that claim to know him. But yet many in the bride walk taking the control from his hands. No longer will this be tolerated. No longer will it be allowed. It will be taken from their hands. They will be separated and set apart. Verse 4, I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stone. I urge you, I urge you, do not take these words lightly. 
I urge you, not out of fear, but out of love for what he offers. His justice is a hard thing to understand. That's why so many people just say, well, we'll focus on the New, New Testament, because the Old Testament's just, you know, maybe that was just God before. And Jesus changed it all. So it really, he isn't the same God anymore. Well, we know that's not the case. No, what has happened is you have God's grace that has been shed upon his people. He has given grace upon grace upon grace. Giving time upon time upon time. For what? For us to turn to him. Not to take advantage of his grace. What do I mean by that? By knowing that I am saved, I know my future is set, so I will control the now for me. Why? Because I want to. Because I feel I can control it better than God. In the reality of that, we know that's not the truth. But yet we do it all the time. We control our circumstance. What's even worse are those who are put in positions of leadership. And they control it for others. When they control it through their church. When a pastor gets up and says that this is what you are to do because I want you to do it. We will do this program because it works. We know that if we do A plus B, it's going to equal C. And see, the principles of God do work. And it isn't that those things haven't worked in the past. Right? Many people have been saved because of a program that gets people out every Saturday to tell people about Jesus. I've told this story before when I was in high school. I used to do that. I used to go knock on a door. They'd open the door. Do you know Jesus? No, you're going to hell. Let me tell you what that's about. Okay, that was the wrong way to go about it. (laughs) Did it have effect? Yeah. Did we lead people to the Lord? Yeah, we did. Can't answer to how fruitful their life was. I mean, I would imagine they probably lived in fear until, until maybe somebody else got a hold of them. I don't know. But there was fruit from it. There is fruit from his principles. If you give your tithes and offerings, there will be fruit from that. Why? Because it's a principle of God that works. But for me to stand up here and manipulate that through emotion, tell you if you do this, you get this. Or or if you don't do this, you will lose out on this. And manipulate that for my own gain, or the gain of this ministry, even to further his gospel, is wrong. It is that second curse, guys. That is that second curse. It's not my responsibility to do that. It's not my my responsibility to tell you to give. It's your responsibility in your relationship with Christ to listen to him. Now, I'm not saying that it's not my responsibility to teach. Because I do, and, and he, he does that. But you know as well as I do that in the bride there is manipulation that does not belong. <laughs> if you don't know that, just go turn on your TV. You'll see it rampant. He is bringing a cleansing to his bride. He is bringing a cleansing for the sake of love. And what is coming is a stark division. This isn't like it has been in the past. Where maybe somebody is separated out. This separation will be death. I declare it in Jesus' name.
That's probably the hardest part of what he has told me to say. I didn't want to. But he has told me to. This separation will result in death. So we have a choice. We have a choice to see him for who he is. That's what he wants. For those who see him for who he is, who have relationship with him, who seek him and his kingdom, do not fear these curses. Do not fear these judgments. Because they are literally for your sake that he does it. In the reading of his bride, in the reading of his remnant, he does it for that relationship. So as we go into these times that have already begun, but they are going to get intense, and I don't, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but for the last six months I read a word that he gave In fact, you know what? I'm going to read it. This was six months ago. Let me see if I can find it. He gave this word through me. This was July 19th of this last year. This is what the Lord said through me. Where is my bride? The ones who have accepted covenant with me. Where are those who have said their lives are mine and only mine? The ones who have accepted the blood of my son and committed theirs in return. You have been tested by the darkness of fear and unbelief, but now you will be tested by my hand. Now you will see the darkness that I bring you. You will not deny it. You have not believed my prophets of old, nor do you trust my voice now. I have laid you down on a bed of testing, and yet you still have not listened. I will show you my hand. I will show you a glimpse of what I can do. Will you believe it then? Will your hearts become hot? That is my desire. That is my will. The greatest cost to me has been your right of choice that was given by me. No longer will I allow the hot to be held back because of the choice of the lukewarm. This is your moment of decision. If you do not fully turn to me and trust in me, then I will spit you out of my mouth. For all will see what I do with my hand, and all will see that I am God, and there is none else. The time has come to reveal my glory and my power in the midst of this darkness. It will be my hand. It will be my hand. It will be my hand that reveals who I am. In the coming days, I will be your only refuge. I will be your only hope. Turn to me and I will not deny you. Trust me fully and I will cover you with the feathers of my wings. If you trust me, you will come forth as pure gold. It is time. It is time. It is time for my bride to make her choice. When he gave that to me six months ago I had expectation of this immediacy understand the heart of God he wants your attention he wants everything for you and between you and him he gives his grace he gives his time 
as long as he gives his time. Don't assume that because it has been this way for 2,000 years, or as long as we've been alive, that it will always be that way. Because when it does begin, as these judgments go out, as you see it begin, it will cascade quickly. Time will not be an issue any longer. Because when the process begins, it moves to fulfillment. He has given grace for the sake of his bride, for the sake of his remnant, for the sake of those who have not believed to have another chance to believe. There are many who do believe. Many who have built and are building relationship with him. Don't be afraid. Although the next three years will be difficult. There will be more propulsion forward than you have ever seen in your entire life for his remnant. Because what is coming is a reversal. In this second woe, which lasts the next three years, it is a, resu- it is a reversal or of what has been in control versus what will be in control. The powers of man and really the powers of Satan that have been in control of our government, of the world, that control, by the way, will not be shifted to the bride. It's not like going from one man's hand or woman's hand to another man or woman's hand. It's not what it is. It is going from the control of Satan through man to the control of Jesus Christ through man. Do you understand? That is what he is doing in this process. That's what he is doing in these things. And, and I'm going to go on to explain one other thing. And then we're going to close. But I encourage you to dive into this. Ask the Lord. Seek his face. Say, Lord, show me. Show me your truth here. Show me as it applies to your bride, as it applies to me, as it applies to my family. Show me. And he will. He will. He doesn't just show one person. He may speak it through one, but he will show anyone in relationship with him. I want to go through the next part of this just to explain, as you do your own research, I want to encourage you, go back through this again. Go back through Jeremiah that I had said, which if if you didn't get the thing on that, it was Jeremiah chapter 29, specifically 17 to 19, because in there he shows three ways, three ways that he will fulfill his judgment. Those three ways will be fulfilled in the next three years. It is by the sword. It is by pestilence. It is by famine. I'm not going to pour any interpretation into that. You go before the Lord and see what he will show you. But verse 5 of chapter 5 of Zechariah. These can be very confusing verses, but I want to explain them. I specifically want to explain them for the sake of the remnant. Verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is. That is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. 
Then I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. I want to explain a little bit of this because I I really want to encourage you to go through the entire book of Zechariah. You'll you'll notice early on, it's it's a series of visions using real life characters of that time, right? Joshua, Zerubbabel. But it was not for that time. If you notice in in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, it said, this will be for a time yet coming. You are but a foreshadowing of what is coming. What is coming is what is coming right now. And it will come again with Israel. What is going on with this woman in the basket? And the only reason I say this is because this is the last part he wanted me to declare this morning. But this talks of wickedness. This talks of witchcraft, specifically. The picture of that cauldron and that woman inside that was wickedness is what is being dispersed by Satan's emissaries in human form. We call them witches. Majority of even the bride doesn't even believe they exist. Or they're people that, you know, go and play with a Ouija board and, you know, this little black magic, white magic, oh, it's all fun and, you know, ding, and you're a donkey, whatever. (laughs) They don't believe it exists. They don't believe it's real. I got news for you. It doesn't matter what you believe. Truth is truth. And this is a picture of what is about to happen. And this is what the Lord has me declare to those who would be the emissaries of Satan, who would be his human form, his witches. You are told to leave this place now. You are told to leave this country now. Anything past this day will require your life of you. Anything past this day. That is his declaration. Warring angels have been released to carry that out. But it is here in Zechariah 5 as to what we see is going to happen because that wickedness in this nation will be put in a single place. That witchcraft will be put in a single place, will be taken out, will be taken to a place that it will be planted for the end time. It says in there, taken to the land of Shinar. If you know what the land of Shinar is, It's Babylon. Land of Shinar is where Babel was built, where the tower of Babel was built. Even before Babylon became Babylon. It is where idolatry literally began. Where witchcraft literally began. It will be taken back to that place for the end of all endings. Which is what he will do with Israel. But again, I want to encourage the, the bride, encourage the remnant for what is happening. I want to encourage you that God is and will fight for you. He will fight to make you ready. He will fight to bring you to a place of being known. as him. Oh my goodness, I wish I had time. Go read some of these places. Read in Jeremiah, in Zechariah, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah. Read these places. I I want to encourage you to go and read the portions where Israel becomes ready. 
Read the seventh, uh, uh, the seventh horn judgment in Revelation. It's the third woe. There's nothing woe about it. It is the ready bride. It is the amazing leading of Jesus Christ on this earth through his bride. That's what we're fighting for. That's what our hope lies in. That is what is coming. coming. We don't have to have a heavy heart. And I, I don't even know who will listen to this and, and, and who will pull out of it these judgments and leave that aside. But please don't. Please recognize He is doing this for us. He's doing this because Satan has overstepped. He has overstepped his right. If you, if you look further into chapter 6, it talks about the four chariots with four types of horses. I won't get into that now, but that's coming as well. What they do, they're the watchers. They go out to all points of the earth and they see what Satan has done. They see what he has taken advantage of. And it's reported to the Lord and the Lord acts upon it. Read Ezekiel. Read Revelation. These things are coming to ready his bride. His bride is to be readied because she loves him. And she is encumbered by those who use his name falsely for their own gain. For their own perceived righteousness. And will no longer be tolerated. Let's pray. We're going to close. Father, we worship you, praise you, love you, Lord. We trust you. Your will be done as you have planned it in heaven. Let it be done on earth. Father, I pray for your remnant, those who have relationship with you. I pray that you give them such a sense of belonging to your heart. Give them such a sense of belonging even to each other. I think of so many all throughout the world that are hot for you, that are alone. Encumbered by persecution. I've seen it firsthand in Nigeria. I hear of it all over the world. I hear of some of the greatest outbreaks of salvation are coming out of China where it's some of the greatest oppression. Lord, I pray for your remnant that is there. I pray for your remnant that is in the Middle East, in Iran, in these places where to even say that they believe in your son would be death. I pray, Lord, for their sakes that you do this quickly, that you bring us together quickly, Father. That you bring such an encouragement to them in their relationship with you, knowing that you are vindicating them. Because it will open up avenues of intimacy with you that we have not yet seen, that we have not yet known. To have relationship with you is not about achieving some plateau where we got there and we have relationship and we're good now. It's a never-ending climb. I can't fathom something that just gets better and better and better and better and better and never ends getting better. But that truly is the relationship that you offer. But it comes at the cost of purity. It comes requiring that we give you everything. We cannot hold anything back. We give you everything. 
because it is from that standpoint that you pour out who you are. And you pour out everything on us, your lavish love for us. Lord, we love you so much and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.